you for listening, but please be advised that I hold no definitive knowledge on the topics I talk about. Be skeptical and look into things for yourself before sharing. If you find that I was wrong about something, please let me know so that I may correct myself. You can do that at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. Please also be aware that I do swear and I don't bleep stuff out, so listener discretion is advised. This is episode 74 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with science, skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ways we as people can be better for future generations. Today I have something to say about propaganda and radicalization. Then I talk about the extreme change made at Block Island, the ancient forest found in a Chinese sinkhole, a poem I love about being a secular humanist, and a bit on farm to closet fashion. If you've joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome! I hope you find it both fun and informative. Propaganda radicalizes people. I get the most grief from those who share propaganda because I point out said propaganda when they do. The type of people to buy into and share radicalizing propaganda tend to take it very personally when it's pointed out. I had one person say that I was coming after them every single time they complained about our government. Yeah, I don't say anything to people who make complaints. I only point it out when people actually post right-wing created pieces made specifically to radicalize. And some of y'all who claim that you're just complaining about our government, that's not what you're doing. You're actually doing a whole lot more than that by sharing these pre-made posts. Make legitimate complaints. Write them out in your own words. I will never bother you. But just forwarding and posting far-right created radicalizing propaganda will get my attention. And no, I'm not going to just ignore it. Because if you are spreading this shit, then you are part of the problem. And so far, I have not been broken. And I am still determined to go down with the ship. To speak up every single time. Our fucking democracy is at stake. So no, I'm not going away. You're welcome to block me. Or if you really don't want to do that, block me from seeing your posts. Because this shit matters, and I will continue to speak up. No matter how much you tell me you hate it when I do. You don't think you're doing anything wrong. You don't think your actions are hurting anyone. Maybe you aren't one of the ones who will be radicalized by it. But by sharing it, you're taking part in the problem for sure. Because either someone who sees it on your post, or someone who sees it on the posts who share your post, Someone will be radicalized because of you and your actions. It happened with Pizzagate. A man with a gun radicalized into believing the most ridiculous things showed up at an innocent company and terrorized those inside. It happened with the anti-Muslim propaganda which originated from the Trump campaign. A man with a truck as his weapon radicalized into causing deaths of four members of a family. This was in Canada, London, Ontario, 2021. This murderer was so angered by the anti-Muslim bullshit that was coming across his social media feeds that he saw what he perceived to be a Muslim family and ran into them with his truck. A nine-year-old boy was the sole survivor, losing both of his parents, his sibling, and his grandmother. His family 
is gone because of someone radicalized by the social media propaganda being spread mostly by people who do not see the damage they're causing, mostly by people who are saying they have a right to their opinion, mostly by people who do not understand that what they are doing is actually causing harm. Maybe you claim not to have hate in your heart, but you are still sharing posts which send people less stable than you into rages, and lives are being cost. I've seen this anger in my own family, a cousin who would find a way to make posts that had nothing to do with these things into anti-Muslim or anti-LGBT rage. I once praised that Quebec was going to start taxing places of religion, and his first reaction was, well, fucking Trudeau better tax the mosques too then. Um, yeah, those fall under places of religion. His next response? Yeah, well, it wouldn't surprise me if they were exempt because Trudeau is a Muslim lover who wants to bring Sharia law to Canada. What the fuck, right? It sounds ridiculous. He had been radicalized to be angry at Muslims, and it happened really fast. I don't believe he's gotten any better, so I don't plan on having anything to do with him ever again, but I would change my mind on that if I heard he'd turned around, admitted he'd been taken in by propaganda, showed remorse for his participation in it, and did better going forward. That would show growth, and someone like that deserves a second chance. Sadly, it doesn't appear that will ever be the case with this individual. Some people, once radicalized, it just can't be undone with some people, especially when they surround themselves with others radicalized in the same way. It happened with the voter fraud propaganda. So many innocent people's lives were ruined, and then those who were terrorized and killed on January 6th as well. And now it's happened again. A radicalized man showed up with a hammer and zip ties and terrorized an innocent man because of radicalizing posts and those who forward and share them. How would you feel if you woke up to a stranger with a large hammer and zip ties in his hands standing at your bedside? I don't care if you did come out of it all right in the end. That shit would fuck you up. Far-right Christian posts on social media convinced this guy that nothing but lies were coming out of the White House, and he decided he had to do something about it. So he showed up at the Pelosi house and terrorized an innocent man. Kind of like the guy who had been convinced that the pizza place was trafficking children, and he decided he had to do something about it, so he showed up and terrorized a fucking pizza place. Spreading this bullshit does cause harm. This is someone who, if you go look at their Facebook page, was all about the COVID-19 vaccine conspiracies, the 2020 election fraud conspiracy, and the praising of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Yes, your sharing of Facebook memes did this to a person. There are people out there who are so vulnerable to misinformation and so determined to do something about all the bullshit issues they've been convinced of that they hurt people. And it will continue to happen. But my question to those who share these things is this. Why? Why do you want to be a part of that? If you took part in the spreading of the anti-Muslim propaganda which cost innocent lives, how does that make you feel today? Are you regretful? If so, then good for you, actually. I fucking mean it. It takes a lot of insight and integrity to see and admit that you were wrong and do better going forward. But for the most part, those who took part in this stuff refuse to ever admit they did anything wrong. To those who have said, I was just expressing my opinion, no. It wasn't just that. You took part in a propaganda campaign which eventually cost lives. If you are regretful and learned, great. But if you did not learn from this, then you will continue to be a part of the problem. And if I see it, I will continue to be a bother.
To those who have said, it's just a Facebook post, fuck you. These posts are radicalizing people into believing the most ridiculous things. Things that led to the terrorizing and death of innocents on multiple occasions. It's not just a post. If you took part in the spread of anti-Muslim propaganda, you have blood on your hands. If you took part in the spread of the Pizzagate propaganda, you have the mental anguish and PTSD of those owners and patrons on your hands. By taking part in the spread of the election fraud propaganda? Oh wow, the list is long for that one. Leading up to January 6th, many people had their lives ruined because of doctored videos used to convince the naive far-right masses that the elections were rigged. People who did nothing wrong except serve their country. People who were monitored by individuals on both the left and the right. People who are defended by those on both the left and the right who witnessed them doing their job correctly. Innocent people harassed, terrorized, abused, lives ruined, having to move multiple times, all because of right-wing doctored videos to progress the lie of voter fraud. The victims of these videos had their freedom to live peacefully ripped away from them through no fault of their own. If you still support those who cause this stuff, you're a fucking monster and probably going to be a part of the downfall of our democracy. I know my words are harsh, but I stand by them and feel I can defend them, so go ahead and send your criticisms. Use your words to express yourself. Don't take part in the spreading of right-wing posts created to trigger anger, hate, fear, and outright radicalization. Don't be a part of spreading the bullshit which is costing innocent people their freedom and lives. Next time you're triggered by a meme, stop and think about where it originated. Stop and think about how it's manipulating you, because that's what it's doing. Don't let these propaganda posts trick you into sharing them. Be skeptical, dammit. I touched on Block Island, New England on episode 28, which was about wind power, but it was just a passing mention. I want to actually talk about what a big deal their accomplishment is. Block Island is off of the New England coast, and they experience the kind of severe winds that have been known to rip porches off of people's homes. So wind power just made a lot of sense for this area. Today, it is the only U.S. community fully powered by offshore wind. But it wasn't always that way. In fact, a large part of the island functioned on generators for 89 years before May 1st, 2017, when they were all turned off. There was a constant noise from this power source, but long-term residents and those born in the area would get used to it. Those who live near the power plant and had non-generator power had to regularly rub soot off their windows and sweep it off the driveways. But again, they got used to it. It was just a part of life for them. When Block Island was connected to wind power, the results were stunning to longtime residents. People were commenting about hearing the leaves rustle for the first time. They were amazed at how much they had been missing all these years. I imagine it would not be unlike getting glasses for the first time and seeing what things really look like. These residents were hearing the sounds of their natural environment for the first time. And of course, nobody is having to wipe soot off anything anymore. But what gets me is the sounds. It must have been amazing to spend that first day just experiencing the quiet of the generators turning off and hearing things like the wind, leaves, and birds. When I first heard about the ecosystem found within the sinkhole in China, I was filled with envy for those who got to go down and explore it for the first time. What an experience that must have been. 
If you're somehow not aware, something like an underground forest was discovered when cavers went down to explore a massive sinkhole in South China. The sinkhole was about 1,000 feet long, 490 feet wide, and 630 feet deep. The rappel must have been exhilarating. But the sights when they finally hit bottom? Wow! Down there they found three cave entrances. Very cool. More to explore. But that's not what was the most exciting. They found themselves in a forest made up of ancient trees towering 100 feet high. They were standing in an undergrowth of plant life that came up to their shoulders, and green plants lined the walls in all directions. As cool as this is, it's been almost expected to happen at some point in this area. Groundwater dissolves limestone rock, which is a common feature here. It carves it out into huge areas underground. Life is also brought in with this water, and it can be carved out to the point where it's getting oxygen as well. Bits of light may even find its way in there. Eventually, something takes root, so to speak, and life starts to grow. Left alone mostly unexposed for hundreds of years, an entire ecosystems can grow, resulting in some animal and plant life cut off from the rest of the world and left to evolve and grow in unique ways. The whole thing is totally fascinating. I hope the three caves are explored soon, too. I can't wait to find out what's found down there next, and what scientists might learn from the animal and plant life. I really hope I get to do an update on the discoveries from the sinkhole. When the farm-to-table movement grabbed hold, it changed the way some people choose to obtain their food. Farmers found themselves able to sell more and more to people in their vicinity. More people started checking what they bought to see where it came from. Change happened. We need some of the same mindset to set in when it comes to the farm-to-closet movement. There are many ways that they're not comparable, as it's a lot harder to do with textiles, but there are ways to accomplish it. There are companies making the effort, and the more consumers who demand it, the sooner it will come to be. When it comes to clothing, the way it works now is kind of ridiculous, and if we could see the back-and-forth travel involved for each article we buy, it might make a difference in our choices. Sustainable farming is a part of the solution, but a very large part of the problem with clothing is the travel. Pull a cotton t-shirt out of your closet and think about it a bit. If there had been a label and when you saw this shirt for sale, you were able to see that this shirt is the result of travel back and forth between countries, from the U.S. to overseas, between several countries overseas, and then back to the U.S. again. If there were labels that told you this, would you think twice before making that purchase next time? Many people would. Does all that travel I just described sound like an exaggeration? It's not. That shirt may have started out as cotton in a field in the United States. There, it would have been grown, picked, cleaned, and graded to determine if it would be usable. It's then bundled up and shipped overseas. That's one trip over the ocean already. Once it gets overseas, it will begin in one country at a processing plant that does the weaving of the cotton into fibers. Once the fibers have been woven, they might be shipped to another country where a garment factory will make the patterns. Linings could come from somewhere else completely, likely in another country. Parts of the garment will have to go somewhere else for embroidery and adornments. Parts to be bleached and or dyed will go somewhere else for those purposes. Finally, after all that traveling around, all the pieces come together at a dressmaker place to make the product which will be sold. Then, there's a good chance that garment will be shipped overseas to be sold in North America. That's two overseas trips for that piece. Farm, ship. Weave, ship. Pattern, ship. Embroider, ship. Dye, ship. Assemble, ship. 
the shipping is phenomenal. I never had any idea it was actually this bad. And I did a whole episode on clothing and textiles for episode 28. Somehow I didn't come across the spit at the time. So a huge step in curtailing emissions would be to have all of these services in a single city or even in a 500 mile radius or something. If cotton could go from a U.S. farm to a U.S. community and travel between U.S. plants rather than being sent overseas, the change that would make would be massive. The other side of doing better when it comes to textiles is the farming itself. We grow fiber crops in North America already. If we could switch our cotton, hemp, and flax farms to more sustainable methods, it would be another huge change. The best form of farming for these purposes is regenerative agriculture, which I will talk about in more detail in one of the next couple episodes. In a nutshell, for this segment, regenerative farming promotes biodiversity and uses grazing and farming practices which provide environmental benefits. Their methods help to rebuild degraded soil into something more nutrient-dense. The result of more nutrient-dense soil is more absorption and sequestering of CO2. It also makes for good yields and better crops while using less land. But the CO2 sequestering is a pretty huge thing on its own. The more we can capture, the better the chances for those who come after us. There are farmers making the change to regenerative farming practices, and those who have taken the leap rave about their results. It's all been good so far. Unfortunately, they are the great minority. Most in their fields claim it just wouldn't work for them, but they all have someone in their area dealing with the same issues they do who has managed to switch over and come out on top. On the consumer side of things, we have to make demands. We showed that we wanted to know where our food came from. Now we have to show that we want to know the details of our clothes as well. I'd love it if I had the ability to trace a garment back to the farm the cotton was grown in. It would take some change, but the ability is there. It is possible to secure a regenerative textile economy without sweatshop workers. Don't forget that the people matter too. Wouldn't it feel good to know that your clothes are being made locally by local people being paid living wages? It would for me. We have natural fibers. We have non-toxic dyes. We have the ability to make closed-loop systems for the water required. We can do this. We as consumers can wear our clothes to the end of their life and then see what might be done with them. Buy used. Recycle when you can. It started in some areas, but will ultimately come down to consumer demand, just like everything else. If people show that this is how they want to spend their money, change will be seen. The farm-to-closet movement just needs to gain some legs and take off like the farm-to-table movement did. Consumers have to want it, and they have to be loud about it. This poem I'm about to share is a favorite of mine, but everywhere I see it posted, the posters all say they do not know its origin. I'd love to credit the author. It's been around for some time. I feel like I've been running into it for at least a decade by now, and who knows how long it was around before that. If it were mine, there's a few small things I would update, but I still really do love it. This is Thoughts from a Secular Humanist, which, by the way, is how I identify. I have no invisible authority. I am not mentally enslaved. I am not an unworthy sinner who is waiting to be saved. My actions are my own, responsibility for which I will take, credit for the good and penalty for the bad, the payment for my deeds only I can make. I'm not the innocent, confused child humble messengers try to find. I'm a skeptic with adult reasoning who has left faith behind. The answers gifted by logic and reason are more appealing to me. I keep searching for the still unknown, not fitting baseless assumptions dishonestly. 
Morality for me is not derived from an ancient book with tiring tales of brutality and occasional verses of love. To be good and to care for my fellow beings? I don't need promises of gifts from above. The knowledge and wisdom accumulated by science, sincere and provable without disguise, is what I find more comforting and reality revealing than ones given by power-hungry cults fighting over lies. I'm not someone who thinks women, compared to their men, are any less. When her right to say no is violated, I don't blame it on her dress. Her body is her own, her character, not just her face. Rather than a world of fear and suppression, they deserve a better place. Things that others do without harming anyone or you are reason enough to make some disgusted or depressed. But when I come to know that he loves another he, I find myself undistressed. It is better to judge people based on their actions, not for what they are. Whether your genes played well or decided to change the rules. All of us are equal humans who've managed to come this far. I don't believe that the universe was designed with a specific purpose keeping any of us in mind. A creator-free universe is not uninteresting or colorless, but a lot more spectacular with added wonders to find. Meaning is what we derive from the things that we strive to achieve during our brief stay on this dot. Knowing that none is bestowed with any special privileges, how many less battles would have been fought? My love for this world and concern for its inhabitants is not restricted by any boundary line. Whether you're from the West and I'm from the East, we're still on the same beautiful planet, so ought we not just get along fine? I respect your right to believe what you want. I respect your right to choose. But at times when what you believe and choose has a bearing on me, don't expect me to keep shut or not refuse. As you read these words, if you find yourself offended and feel that you need to complain, I hope you'll first pause for a second and try not to forget how not being allowed to say it had once led our species into the dark ages of suffering and pain. Author Unknown That is all I have for this episode. Time to get out from under my stairs, fold the mic back, and put the craft trolley and paper products back in here. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity continue to be replenished daily. My gratitude goes out to the following people. Jason Martin for helping me get started on this project almost three years ago. I wouldn't be doing this right now if not for him. Kathy Rayner for her musical contribution on the violin. Paul Palmer for his musical contribution on the guitar. He can be found at WPG Suitcase Drummer on Instagram. Dustin Harder for composing and recording the intro and outro for the show. You can find him on Instagram at Prairie Soul Music. And finally, thank you to my family, who show nothing but support and never complain about the time I spend on this project. I hope you will choose to join me again in two weeks for episode 75 of Living Through Extinction. If you enjoy Living Through Extinction and would like to support the show, the best ways to do so are to subscribe and rate and to comment and like positive comments on your favorite podcast player. Or you can help out by following, liking, and sharing on all the social medias. The show can be found under Living Through Extinction on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok, and under LTE Pod on Twitter. There's also a Patreon at patreon.com slash livingthroughextinction. There you can earn stickers, pins, masks, and more, as well as help me to plant some trees. If you have any comments, corrections, questions, or suggestions, please email them to livingthroughextinction at gmail.com or message me through one of the social medias. 